Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Are you having trouble reaching your child, your teenager, your young adult with the claims of Jesus? If so, you've come to the right place. Or maybe you're a young person yourself and you're not really buying into Christianity, but you might be interested in it. So you're tuning in today to find out how to reach your generation, how to reach generation, what is known as Generation Z. And there's nobody better to talk about this than my friend, Dr. Sean McDowell, who actually will be leading a course for us here next week called Reaching and Equipping Generation Z. And it's partially based on a book he wrote with uh, Jay Warner Wallace a couple of years ago. It's called So the Next Generation Z. No, preparing young Christians for a challenging world. And uh, Sean, as you know, is the author of several books out there. He's been on this program several times before. He's helped us teach at CIA. He is also a professor at Biola, and he travels the country and even the world presenting evidence for Christianity. It's always great having Sean on. Sean, how are you? Frank, I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this course. In fact, my wife, Stephanie, who really runs uh, online Christian courses, has been through all of the video for this course. And she's like, Frank, you need to take this course. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to take it too. And so let's just start at the top. Who is Generation Z? When you you hear these terms thrown around, millennials, Generation Z, what what ages are the Generation Z people right now? Yeah, this is a great place to start. Gen Z are essentially those uh, typically born, some would say as late as 1995 to say 2000 into like 2010, because people differ demographers exactly how to uh, kind of study a generation. But all that aside, mm-hmm. essentially Gen Zers are like upper elementary school through college. And even some Gen Zers, the first you know class or two are getting out into the workforce. But if you basically think of Gen Z, you could think of like junior high, high school, college students today would be in this group we would call Gen Z. And who would we call the millennials then? Where do they begin? So millennials are basically those that came before uh, the Gen Z uh, generation. So a lot of people will talk about this younger generation as if they're millennials, but older millennials already have kids. They're in the workforce. Some of them are in their 30s and upper 20s. So they are no longer Mm -hmm. this younger generation. All right. So Gen Z is is basically... Kids in school right now, even up through college, that's just a, maybe a fair way of putting it. Elementary to college, yeah, I think that fair way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, I think if we want to simplify it down, most people would agree with that that age range. Okay, so you actually wrote a book with Jay Warner Wallace called um, "So the Next Generation Will Know." Why did you write a book about reaching this generation? And and we'll get into why they're different here in just a few minutes. But why why did you write this book? I think the biggest reasons are Scotty. Shauna and Shane, which are my three kids, mm-hmm. which are all really, mm-hmm. except the younger one maybe is on the bubble. They're all really Gen Zers. And my life has been committed to reaching young people. And I just started to notice some of the research coming out about this generation, that there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of misunderstanding. 
And I also thought, gosh, I'm trying to figure out how to raise and parent my own kids. And I kind of do this for a living, teaching, speaking, writing. I'm sure there's a lot of other people who are trying to figure this out too. So if I can get better at doing this and ultimately write a book with the research that comes out of it, selfishly, it helps me first. But I also know that if I have that need, there's a lot of other people trying to figure out how to do it too. So it comes from my own kids my love for young people, and also just a sense that things are starting to change with this generation. And we can't do ministry, parenting, teaching, speaking, counseling the same way we've always done it in the past if we want to have real life change with them. And parenting, especially because when you have young kids, you're, you know, you're, you might not be sure how to actually interact with them because they are getting a lot of input. F- in, Unlike other generations or unlike I'm a boomer, so I didn't get a lot of input from other people like kids do now. Right. They're, they're getting so much input on social media that I didn't have growing up. So I guess as parents, we're going to have to be a lot more. Um, we're going to have to be a lot more intentional about how we parent and to counter some of the things they might be hearing on social media. And we're going to get into that a little bit later in the program. But, Sean, what are some of the misconceptions about Gen Z that we might have? Well, I think one thing you said a minute ago is really important to highlight because I heard somebody make a a comment in their talk, kind of a joke. They said, you know, Gen Zers face more temptation on the way to the bus stop than their grandpa did on Friday night when he was out looking for it. (laughs) And I thought, gosh, that really is an interesting difference because previous generations kind of would get to college. Maybe they have a class. Maybe they come across a book or meet somebody. But this generation, it's coming directly to them 24-7 through social media and through every conceivable form of communication. So this is only one issue of this generation. But one of the things I've heard my dad say is that it's not that young kids are initially looking for pornography, but in a sense, pornography is looking for them. And the point being that all these ideas and secular ideas and ways of thinking are encroaching on this generation from the youngest age possible. And that's unique to Gen Z. So I think one big misunderstanding, there's a few about this generation. One is that they're just millennials 2.0. And that's not true. We see them use technology differently. They handle money differently uh, as a whole. Uh, We see their worldview is a little bit different. Their relationships are a little bit different. So I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I've studied millennials. Let's just look at Gen Zers. I'm like, there's some significant changes happening that we have to pay attention to. I'd say another one is that this generation doesn't care about spirituality. The studies show that they are post-Christian in their thinking, but they're made in the image of God. And I can tell you right now, I'm taking a group of 17 high school students through probably C.S. Lewis's hardest book, The Abolition of Man. I mean, this book is hard for me to understand. And I am line by line taking these students through it. And I'm raising the bar for them. I'm challenging them to think. I'm not making it easy for them. Yes, it's a Christian school classroom and I get to grade them. But overall, they're giving me this look like they enjoy being challenged to something deeper than they had been challenged before. They appreciate that I don't give them simplistic answers. So I think that's a big misconception with this generation, that they're not open to truth. They're not interested in truth. I think that's false. By the way, that's something I failed to mention in introducing you, Sean, and that is the fact that you do teach in a high school in addition to teaching at Biola. So you have your 
finger on the pulse of Gen Zers every week when you're teaching there in that high school in Southern California. Uh, so you 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 are not just theoretically putting out this kind of information through the book or through the course you're about to teach. You are dealing with this every day. You're dealing with this generation every day. And of course, you have Gen Zers in your home, as many of our listeners do. So I think that's extremely important. I, I, I've heard you say this, or maybe I've read you uh, talk about this, is that these uh, young people, we could call them teenagers, but we could also call them screenagers. Mm. What do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a term. I did not come up with that. I think that came from uh, Barna, but I absolutely use that. And I think mm. when we look at what's unique about Gen Z is I think the defining characteristic is how they use technology. So this is really mm. the first full generation that was raised swiping smartphones and you know, having constant access anywhere, anytime to anything they want, that's what we mean by screenagers. So previous generations, I still get in the phone, I plug in an address, I'm like, wow, my phone tells me where to go. There is zero wow factor with Gen Zers. They, <laughs> it, they expect that when it comes to the world. And they're just upset and angry when it doesn't work because they expect that it should be that way. So I would say the one key to understanding how they build relationships, uh, how they think about truth, their spirituality, and almost every component is technology. Every component is technology. And we're going to get into that right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. My guest is Dr. Sean McDowell, who's about to teach a brand new course called Reaching and Equipping Gen Z. And it's going to be an online course where Sean is going to come on and do live Zoom sessions with you. If you take the premium version, just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. It starts in a couple days. We're back in two minutes. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. Reaching and equipping Generation Z. If you're a parent in your 30s or 40s, maybe even your early 50s, you might have them in your home. How do you reach and equip Generation Z? They're different than your generation, than my generation. Dr. Sean McDowell is going to help us understand that through this radio program and through a brand new course called Reaching and Equipping Gen Z. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. It starts in a few days. And if you want to be a part of it, you can actually interact with Sean live on Zoom because that's the unique thing about these online courses. We come on live and answer your questions that you might have after looking at the videos online. Now, Sean, well, just before the break, we were talking about how technology is front and center to Generation Z. How does this technology shape the way they think? Oh, I love that question because a lot of people don't take the time to ask that. Mm -hmm. And I think it affects their thinking in a few ways. One is it shapes the way they think about truth. So truth, as you know, and defined as clearly as anybody that I know, is when a belief matches up with reality. Well, that assumes there's an objective reality outside of my thinking and my mind that mm -hmm. I am supposed to align myself with. Well, one of the things technology does is this generation has been raised to think they can have what they want, when they want it, where they want it, how they want it. Without even realizing it, they're conditioned to think that they don't have to conform their lives to an external reality. 
they can conform external reality to their own set of thinking. So silly example, when I was a kid, where I grew up in California, if we wanted a toy, we got this Sears Roebuck calendar. And it had like three or four options of Transformers, and it took like two to four weeks to show up. Well, now you pull up Amazon, you have endless options, and you can get it delivered that afternoon on a drone if you really need it right away. <laughs> on a drone. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> take music feeds. You know, I sat by the radio and would wait to record a certain, you know, when my favorite song showed up, hit record, I was like, yes, I got it. Well, now you can create music feeds and have any music, anytime, anywhere you want it. That's true for shopping. That's true. That's the world this generation has been raised in. So I think it teaches them to begin to think they can conform reality to themselves mm. rather than themselves to an external reality. And I don't think kids necessarily connect these thoughts. I think it happens on a subconscious level. So there's no coincidence that we're seeing so much questions about truth and a blurring of the distinctions in their mind. Now, there's a second thing that I think uh, does to this generation as well is uh, I remember when the internet really first started getting popular, like in the mid nineties. And I remember people saying, we're going to have more confidence in the truth because there's more information. And even at that stage, I remember thinking, gosh, if there's more information, it's going to create more doubt, right. not more confidence in the truth. So you go back to say the, uh, uh, the Kennedy assassination, 1963, and there was a few cameras and images of that event and conspiracies arose. And a lot of people thought, gosh, we could get to the truth if we had more information. Well, fast forward to 9-11. There's far more video cameras. There's far more information. And there's many, if not more, conspiracies than there was with the JFK assassination. Mm -hmm. Why? Because when there's endless information, there's this sense of like, can I know anything? There's right. always somebody smart who has a different perspective. That's why I actually do TikTok. I know it sounds funny because it's a kid's app, but a lot of people are on TikTok. And I'll have these students comment as if their opinions are just as valuable as mine. And they'll want to go toe to toe with me. And it does. I'm not saying I'm never wrong, but I have two masters and a PhD. I've thought about this a lot. And there's just the sense of if they feel it, and that's their opinion, it's just as true as mine. So I think that's a way technology has contributed to the way they think skepticism on one hand and questioning the existence of truth on the other. You know, I think social media has also driven our country into it, its uh, corners because, as you know, on social media, if you watch, say, a YouTube video, you're going to get advertised a whole bunch of YouTube videos from that same perspective and you're just going to be locked in your own echo chamber, which is where we are now. Very rarely do people get outside of their own echo chamber and you wind up demonizing people who don't necessarily agree with you. But you never go to their side of the aisle to hear what they have to say, because you're just getting fed this consistent diet of what you're interested in. And I think that creates a problem as well. People get more adamant about a position that they actually don't know much about due to social media, mm. Sean. Well, I think that's true. And to be honest with you, I've got to check myself on that too. Oh, yeah. Because there's so much news. There's so much information. There's this temptation to feel like I've got to have an opinion on everything. 
And some of the people that I respect most will just stop and say, you know what? I haven't read that enough to really know. Here's what my instinct would be. Like when somebody says that, I think, gosh, this person's actually really thoughtful. They right. care about truth. But this characteristic you're describing, what's very interesting about Gen Z is this social media is not only affecting Gen Z, it's affecting the way all generations think. Sure. So what's happening is it affects Gen Z more because they're younger and they're at a formative stage. But the changes in their generation were actually seen across generations at a greater rate, I would argue, than maybe even with previous generations. Yeah, it's uh, – in fact, I don't know the exact stats here. I can't remember them. Um, and maybe maybe off the top of your head, you can remember them, Sean. But there's been an explosion, as you know, in recent years for young people, people in elementary school or junior high or high school, uh, to, to either claim they're transgendered or they're, they're gay, lesbian, or – especially the transgender, it's just exploded in recent years. And I would probably say, and I think I've read pieces on this, hopefully they're true, that this is probably more motivated by encouragement on social media than anything else. Do you agree or have you read anything on that? You know, that's really interesting. I just finished the book by Abigail Schreier called Irreversible Damage. Mm -hmm. And she cites a study in the UK in which this rapid onset gender dysphoria has increased over 4,000% wow. in the past few, I forget exactly if it's two years or three years, 4,000%. And you see it across Europe, you see it in the United States, maybe not 4,000%, but very significant. And there's a few factors that underlie this. Number one, somebody has another friend who is transgender. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, they tend to have parents who are a little bit more affirming, not always, but that's statistically the case. Uh, number three, there's a lot of other psychological uh, difficulties that person has uh, that they're wrestling with. And fourth is, I forget the numbers, but it seemed like two thirds had just in the past recent time began to increase and spend an inordinate amount of time on social media. Mm. So what you said is exactly right. They're, they're hearing, they're watching YouTube videos, and this is very true about Gen Z. I mean, they are taking their cues from YouTube videos. And when it comes to this transgender narrative, you're seeing people uh, transition and they say it's wonderful and it's great. And it just for a generation that is has high levels of depression and loneliness and hurt only exacerbated by COVID. This is an appealing narrative that they can drag grab onto. And I think a lot of it is social as well for a kid who feels like they don't belong they're trying to wrestle with their identity. All of a sudden, you come out as transgender and you feel empowered and everybody supports you and everybody gives you kudos. Mm. There are some biological ties that could, could contribute to gender dysphoria, but we cannot rule out some of these social components too, as well as social media, like you said, Frank. Well, if they're all biological, if it's all biologically driven, then why do we suddenly have a 4,000% increase right at the age of social media? Why, I mean, why hasn't it been much higher when there was no social media? Well, I think that's a great question. I think the argument, the response would be, as you know, they'd say, well, people never felt the freedom to come out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now that they have the freedom, they're coming out. But the problem is, is the typical person who is transgender, historically speaking, is a male adolescent when they would first come out. 
But now we're seeing um, adolescent girls who are older moving into the teenage years with no past whatsoever of gender dysphoria. So it doesn't match the kind who came out before, which makes us question that all this can be explained biologically. Right. And unfortunately, people that go down that road, if they start taking hormone blockers and all of these kinds of drugs, it, 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 they wind up sterilizing themselves. And if they go through with the surgery, as you well know, Sean, even after the surgery, people that go through that have a suicide rate 19 times higher than the general public. So the solution is not surgery to this kind of thing. You don't treat a you don't treat a psychological mismatch between your body and your mind with surgery. You treat it with psychiatry. Of course, people don't want to hear that, but that's really the truth. And so the Generation Z group, uh, if we have children who are Generation Z, Sean, what can we be doing in our home to try and counter what they're getting on social media? Well, I think there's a few things we can do. The most important thing is just to build a relationship with our kids mm -hmm. and spend time with them. So we build trust. So they're less likely to go to Google with a question and more likely to go uh, to us. That relationship is just huge. It's the basis of everything. I'm going to talk for a long time when we document this in the book, and I'm going to go into this in detail in the class, that it's the relationships with the parents, in particular the father, that is the single most determinative statistical factor in faith transmission. So one, build a relationship. Second is teach your kids a Christian worldview. So teach them how to think biblically about sexuality. Teach them about identity. And there's a lot of different ways to do this, but that's the key is that the other day I saw my, my daughter actually watching this YouTube channel. It was this person who is transgender. I stopped and I said, hey, okay, like she's 13. I said, I'm okay if you watch stuff with different opinions. I didn't want to freak out and shut it down. I said, tell me about this. What's going on? Why are you interested? And she told me the story. A friend had watched it and she just, it was totally curiosity. We had a good conversation and I moved on. But that gave me a chance to talk to her and give her a biblical view about sexuality and gender and identity. Those are the two keys, teaching our kids a worldview and building a relationship with them. Young people are looking for identity as many older people are. And the beauty of Christianity, friends, is that in Christianity, you do not achieve your identity. You receive your identity. You just accept what Christ has done. And you're not only forgiven for what you've done, but you're given Christ's righteousness. That's why it's the greatest story ever told. And thankfully, it is true. So all the pressure's off. You don't have to perform. You don't have to achieve. All you do is receive and be welcomed into the body of Christ, the kingdom of God. And we'll talk more about that and how to reach Gen Z with the wonderful message of Christianity right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. My guest is Dr. Sean McDowell. He has a brand new course on this called Reaching Gen Z. And in fact, go to crossexamine.org and click on online courses to see more about it. We'll talk more after the break as well. We're back in two minutes. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, 
don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. How do you reach Generation Z? That's our topic today. I'm Frank Turek. My guest is Dr. Sean McDowell. Before I go back to Sean, I want to mention that this weekend I'll be in Wentzville, Missouri. That's right outside of St. Louis. I'll be speaking at Element Church Saturday night, the Sunday morning services, and then 6 p.m. We'll have an extended time to go through. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and, and answer any of your questions. That's at Element Church in Wentzville, Missouri. The following week, I'll be out in New Mexico at, uh, hang on, I got to scroll down there. Where am I going to be in New Mexico? Oh, at Hoffman Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So that's in October, first weekend of October. And uh, by the way, Sean McDowell gets out there a bit too. Sean, you're going to be in Montana, aren't you, this weekend? Yeah, this is actually one of the first speaking events on the road I've had in a while that's not virtual. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to get back Where are you out going, there. Billings? Going to a, a, a worldview conference, Big Sky Worldview Conference, and it's I think Billings is exactly where it's okay, at. Okay, so yeah. where can people learn uh, more about that? Just go to seanmcdowell.org or .com or what? Yeah, or if you just you just search Big Sky Worldview, okay. uh, my name, it'll come up. All right, up. good deal. So yeah, check Sean's website out too. He's got a lot of great stuff out there. He's got a YouTube channel and uh, Instagram. And now he's on TikTok, which is about to be shut down, Sean. Good move there. <laughs> no way, man. He's not getting shut down. <laughs> I don't think. We'll see. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess the, the Chinese have to stop spying on us via TikTok, and then maybe it could stay here. So, uh, But anyway, we're talking about Generation Z. And uh, why don't you kind of give us, I know we've touched on this as we've we've spoken about Generation Z, but what is the worldview of a Generation Z person? Well, that's a huge mm -hmm. question because Gen Z is so diverse. It's hard to just say this is what a person believes who is a Gen Zer. I mean, there's about as much diversity within this generation as you'll find among any generation. But with that said, we do see certain trends that are shifting within this generation. So as a whole, they tend to be a little bit less conservative. Now, the question is, will that remain? Because typically young people are a little bit more liberal, become conservative as they age, so to uh -huh. speak. So we don't know exactly where those trends are going. But on a lot of ethical issues, you might say things like the legalization of pot or same-sex marriage they tend to be a little bit more progressive at this stage than previous generations uh -huh. were. That's at the heart of their worldview. But I think you also find this is in many ways, they've been described like Jean Twenge at San Diego State in her book, iGen, really says this is the first truly post-Christian generation, mm. that their worldview is just deeply secular. And I think there's a secular worldview outside of the church but I would argue that certain secular ideas have seeped themselves in very firmly, even into the church, in ways that a lot of people don't even recognize. And I don't know if that's the direction you want to go, but I could give an example. Yeah, no, of what go I'm ahead. Talking go ahead. about how. Uh, okay. So I'll give an example. Recently, I was meeting with a group at Christian high school and uh, 11th to 12th graders who've been in church and Christian school their whole life. And I asked them, I went on the board and I said, why don't you describe for me the person who is most free? 
who is most free? They chatted amongst themselves, came back, and they said the person who's free is someone who can do anything they want without mm. restraint. I said, okay, give me a picture of who that person is. And they talked amongst themselves, came back, and said basically a person on an island alone so nobody can stop them from doing whatever <laughs> they want. That's their picture of freedom. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, if God exists, would this change how we view freedom at all? They talked among themselves. They came back. They said, well, freedom is doing whatever you want without restraint. But now there's consequences. Now, just let that sink in. All God adds to the matrix of freedom is consequences. Maybe guilt in this life or judgment in the next. That's, That's it. what they think. That's mm -hmm. it. That's what they think. Exactly. So when I pressed and talked with them, this is an hour conversation. At the end, I basically point out, I said, you guys understand freedom from, but you don't understand freedom for. Mm. The first thing we learn about the God Bible is that God has designed us like a watch is designed for something. You have been designed for something. And what we're designed for is to be in relationship with God and other people. So ironically, the least, per, the least free person is alone on an island because they're not living in the kind of relationship that God has designed us for. I have had that conversation over and over and over again with Christian students, and that's consistently how they see the world. So what I'm saying is that most students don't really articulate what they think about freedom because nobody asks them. But they carry around these secular assumptions that shape how they understand sexuality, shape how they think about politics, shape how they think about marriage and meaning and life. And it's really driven by deep secular influences. So you want to understand the worldview of this generation? I would argue an awful lot of them are deeply shaped. And that's why Barna says only 4% of Gen Zers have a biblical worldview. And of course, that's in a particular way that Barnett defines a worldview. So a secularism is at the heart of how many in this generation really see the world. Now, I've heard you say you were having a conversation with John Steingart, as, as I have, uh, regarding uh, he's a Christian musician that has left the faith and is now searching. And I heard you say in your conversation with him on the Justin Brierley show Something your dad had said about guarding your heart. Can you share that with us right now, Sean? Yeah, I loved that conversation with John. He's a friend, and we've had continued conversations out of that. We've also we've gone jogging at the San Clemente Pier and, and just continued that relationship, which has been kind of uh -huh. cool. And one of the things that we discovered in our conversations was he came from a very uh, experiential background right. that really emphasized feelings but not really the life of the mind or apologetics or like theology. Mm -hmm. Whereas I came from a background where my dad, obviously you and our listeners will recognize the name Josh McDowell has been an apologist who really trained me how to think, but he also taught me just how to love people and engage the heart. So we were having a conversation. He was like, I, oh, maybe I come from feeling you come from more of like a, a mind background. I said, well, one difference, you may be right, but one difference is we're not supposed to guard our, minds with our hearts we're supposed to guard our hearts with our minds because our hearts can lead us astray but it's truth that should always bring us back and that's it's interesting you asked me this frank because when i talk with this generation 
you'll often find when you ask them a question, so many times they'll say, well, I feel this and I feel that. It's like they're conditioned to think about the world through the lens of their feelings. So one practical thing I say to students all the time is I'll say, you know, if we're talking about theology or apologetics, I'll say, gosh, I really care about your feelings, but I want to know what you think. And then eventually, as the class goes on, they'll often say, I feel this. They'll stop and they'll say, sorry, McDowell, I know you want to know what I think. And I say, good, you're making a distinction in your mind. Feelings are vitally important. I'm not downplaying them, but I want you to learn how to think and even assess your feelings through your thinking. In fact, our mutual friend, Greg Kokel, has put it this way, that emotions make life delicious, but reason makes life safe. And to echo what Solomon said in Proverbs 4.28, he says, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. And as other scriptures say, like Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitful and wicked, who can know it? If we allow our lives to be guided completely by our hearts, by our base desires, we're not going to live very long. (laughs) We're going to take down a lot of other people with us. And do you think that this generation is more guided by their hearts or their minds, Sean? You know, let me let me read you a quote just to support mm-hmm. what you're saying. This is in The Abolition of Man by C.S. Yep. Lewis. He said, the heart never takes the place of the head, but it can and should obey it. Mm-hmm. What, what a great line mm-hmm. that Lewis got at. Now, I, it, it, in some ways, when you say it is Gen Z, think more of the heart of their head. It, it really depends on the Gen right. Zer. But I can tell you that the forces in our culture that shape the way they think says, be true to yourself. If you feel it, that's your reality. Like we saw with the Kavanaugh hearings, some of the senators would say, hey, to Blasey Ford, who was criticizing him, they would say, share your truth. Your truth. Yeah. As if, yeah, your truth. And you hear this phrase all the time. So the only Gen Zer who I think wouldn't see the world that way would be someone who has an adult in their life helping them process this and see through the foolish idea that something can be true for you and not true for me. So I guess I would say to answer a question, the default position of this generation is to look more to their feelings and inside than to look outside for truth. And by the way, that's not just true for Gen Zers. We're seeing this across generations as well. And this isn't, we're not trying to generalize here. We're, we're looking at survey data that is giving us this information. But as everyone listening to me knows, just because you say that Generation Z, a Generation Z person is bound to be or have these kinds of characteristics, that doesn't mean an individual Generation Z person you meet will have those characteristics. That would be an inappropriate use of statistics. You can't single out one individual part of a group and say that your beliefs and your actions must reflect what the survey data says about your group. That would be an inappropriate use of statistics. But we are giving you survey data here, Sean. I know you're doing that because you, you, you've had some survey data from Barna and others. Well, let's talk about truth for a second. Do these students who are Gen Zers care about truth according to the survey data? Hey, by the way, something you said I want to echo. Uh, Os Guinness has a recent book called Carpe Diem mm-hmm. Redeemed, and he says he doesn't even like generational language right. because it focuses on what we have difference rather than what we share in common. Yeah. 
And I think that's a very fair warning to put out there. We live in an age where everybody's defined by your race and your Mm -hmm. sex. And it's like, we can't even communicate with each other anymore. So one of the first things I say, and I'll talk about this in the course, is I want adults to realize that across generational differences, we have far more in common than we do differences. Our shared humanity far transcends the labels like busters or boomers or Xers or millennials or Gen Zers. That's really important to keep in mind. But this data, like you said, it gives us hooks and it gives us insights into how they tend to see the world. But we have to individualize this. So as a whole, yeah, Gen Z does. Human beings care about truth. We can't escape it because we're made in God's image. And part of being made in God's image is we have minds and we need truth to survive one minute from the next. So this generation, I had a young man ask me, why is truth important? And I said, well, do you want the true answer or the false answer? (laughs) His question, right? You get it. All right, well, let's get some more true answers after the break. You're listening. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. My My guest is uh, Dr. Sean McDowell. He's talking about a new course he's about to teach at onlinechristiancourses.com. It's called Reaching and Equipping Gen Z. More in just two minutes. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry, 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. You're never going to hear this on NPR. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. And uh, we have a YouTube channel with over 800 short videos on it. We have a Facebook page and uh, Instagram account, Twitter, the whole deal. You can find us there. But if you really go to crossexamine.org, it'll link to all those other places. My guest is Dr. Sean McDowell. Uh, he has a new course that we'll tell you a little bit more about in just a minute called Reaching and Equipping Gen Z. Gen Z. If you go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there. It starts in just a few days. I want to say it's September 28th. Uh, somewhere around there. You can join a little bit after that. Uh, You can join anytime for the self-paced course, but for the premium course where you're going to be live on Zoom with Sean and even Josh, his father's going to join one of the sessions, as will Jay Warner Wallace. You've got to take the premium version, and that has a limit to the number of students, so you better sign up quickly for that. Uh, But Sean, uh, we were talking about Gen Z and do they care about truth? Let me ask you this question. What are the biggest questions being asked by Gen Z, by young people today? Yeah, I love this question. And one of the things that Jay Warner Wallace and I do in our book is we try to separate this into two two categories. One, there are timeless questions that every generation will ask. And then there's timely questions that come up given certain cultural trends. So Mm. Timeless questions will be like, does God exist? Is there life after death? And perhaps the most pressing timeless question is, why is there evil and suffering? Right. And so you look at this generation, and there are a lot of questions about evil and suffering. And some of them have been told that Christianity distinctly has contributed to this. So think about the Crusades. And frankly, some have seen things like the Catholic sex abuse. And so, and other sex abuse, not just to pick on them. So a lot of the timeless questions are tied to evil 
exists as a God? Does my life have any meaning? This generation is asking it as much or more than any generation. The timely questions that I find are a few. You always see this intersection between science and between faith. What do I do with my faith if I become a believer? Do I, can I believe in evolution? Do I have to hold a certain view about the age of the earth? Uh, what does it mean? How do I interpret the Bible? Like these, these are somewhat timeless questions, but they're also timely because we live in an age where even though there's a lot of postmodern ideas brewing today, we still hold up science as the means of truth. So science and faith are big questions with this generation. We're also seeing a lot of questions about justice now. And some right. of this is because of things like uh, the racial injustice that's taking place. And that's why you see sometimes kids across different racial demographics, even within Gen Z, having different questions because of their experience. But those questions have been bubbling to the surface. And then, of course, the biggest questions that you also see are questions like LGBTQ questions. Uh, do, do, can you be gay and Christian? Uh, does God love my gay friends? These kinds of questions tied to sexuality and morality are really, really big with this generation. Yeah. In fact, you have an, another course that you've already run in a premium version on the website uh, on homosexuality in the Bible. That course got rave reviews, Sean, when you did the premium version. People can still take the self-paced version. You just won't get Sean on those live Zooms. We're going to run that course again on a homosexuality because that is such a big issue today and kids are asking questions about it. Now, I'm sure you'll get into that maybe a little bit in reaching Gen Z because it is such a big part of the Gen Z culture. In fact, what are some of the other issues you're going to deal with in the course reaching and equipping Gen Z? Yeah, let me walk through some of those. But first, when it comes to the issue of sexuality, real, realize a couple of different things for this generation. Number one, it's not just academic for them. Right. For you and I, Frank, you and I are different generations. There might have been rumors or discussions about a kid who was gay, but, you know, and maybe a couple television shows, but it wasn't personal. It mm. is personal for these kids. Right. So they are wrestling existentially. How do I hold on to my Christian faith? and love my friends who are gay or kids with same-sex attraction. How do, what does this actually mean? Can I get married? Am I going to be miserable if I'm single? These are real questions this generation is facing. We're going to unpack that a little bit in the course. But really, the big stuff we're going to do is we're going to spend some time on just unpacking the data about Gen Z. Who is Gen Z? What do they really believe? What do the studies show? And one of the neat things that I try to do, Frank, is I bring top-down research, but a lot of stories and experiences with this generation. And I think people appreciate that. We're going to talk about why teach truth to this generation. We're going to talk about how do we approach truth with students today. Uh, we're going to have a lot of discussions about building relationships with this generation. We're going to look at some of the data of why kids leave the church and leave the faith. And there's a lot of misunderstandings about this. We're going to talk about how do we motivate kids to care about truth. I mean, I teach undergrad, high school, and graduate classes. And my grad students, I don't have to motivate them to care about truth. But when it comes to high school students, there's certain things I've learned to do to help motivate them. Uh, we're talking about parenting, speaking to youth, teaching methods, what topics we do with this generation. And at the end, we're going to talk about social media use. How do we use social media and engage this generation? And in particular, the last lesson, one of my favorites is like, how do you actually use movies 
to mm. engage this generation because this generation they love stories yeah. and they watch movies and they're one of the best tools to just engage them with spiritual ideas that's in terms of evangelism and in terms of discipleship so whether you're a student a parent a pastor a a teacher anyone a grandparent anyone like that would be appropriate to take this course you think sean yeah, that's right. We already have a range of people signed up. So just like the focus of the book, which we're going to use as one of the texts, it's essentially for parents, it's for grandparents, it's for Christian school teachers, it's for youth pastors, and a tag on that. And for anybody else, a coach, a mentor who just says, I want to understand this generation better. And I just want to learn some practical ways when it's all said and done to mentor them better and pass the faith on to them. Again, anybody court- who looks at yeah go ahead no no go 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 i was gonna say anybody who's looking at this generation saying what do i do to reach them is going to walk away with some tools yeah and you're very practical sean uh the videos that i've seen and when we teach together you're very practical with people so this is going to be a, a wonderful course and if it is any if it's half as good as the course you did on homosexuality in the bible it's going to be a home run <laughs> And the course is called Riching and Equipping Gen Z. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. I think it begins on the 28th of September. If you're listening to this after that, you're still going to be able to get in maybe a week after uh, that time. The Zoom sessions will begin uh, after the 28th. They don't start that very time. So you'll be able to catch up if you want to be a part of the class. Again, it's called Reaching and Equipping Gen Z. What kind of... Um, if, if a parent is listening right now, Sean, what is the, the one piece of advice you would give to a parent who has a child, say, in high school right now, who is really struggling to stay in the Christian faith, or you, a parent might not even know if the kid is a Christian, the kid has drifted away. What would you say to that parent right now? I would say double, triple your efforts to build relationships with this kid. That's going to be the key. Don't feel the need that you have to preach to this kid all the time. Send him to every Christian camp. Now, I would say if you could get the kid to go send him to Summit Ministries, you and I both speak at that. And that's often a game changer for students. I mean, if a kid's heart is not open, it's not going to force anybody to believe. But I've known a lot of kids who have gone to Summit and being around kind of attractive, thoughtful Christians and other young people is game changing for them. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing I would make an exception for is get your kids to summit, whatever it takes. But don't feel like every interaction with your kid has to be spiritually focused. Right. Build a relationship with them. Look for natural opportunities. Be a good listener. But even though I'm an apologist, if your kid is that old and they're going to be out of the house in a year or two, let them know that you love them, you stand by them, you're with them for the long run, and uh, you care about them. Hopefully, by this stage, they know what you believe. Now, the question is, they probably have a heart cry. God, are my mom and dad going to love me no matter what I believe? That's really the key, I think, when it's all said and done. I mean, I went through a questioning period in my life, right? and it was my parents not freaking out. It was Mm -hmm. building a relationship with me. It was giving me a little bit of space. Now, I also know that kids are unique and different, and the wise parents read what's actually going on with their kids. But if you are listening to this and you don't know where your kids are at, like I promise you're not alone. And for so many kids, this is a natural part of their maturity to just own their faith. So build that relationship, 
but have a long-term view as well. This might not change by tomorrow or next week and get your kids to summit if you can. Yeah, you're going to have to be intentional because as you said earlier, 24-7, Sean, young people are being bombarded mostly with anti-Christian messages. And if, if I had one angle into which you, I could speak into a child's life, at this point, it would be morality, in, not, not in the sense that, oh, this is a wrong thing or a good thing, but to ask them questions about morality. Because as you know, when they're teenagers, when they're going to high school or college, the moral issues are the biggest issues. And I think sometimes just asking questions like, why do you think that's true and right? Why do you think that's good? What standard are you using to make such a judgment? And it gets them to think that there's got to be a standard beyond them if they're going to say that such and such a thing that they're interested in or they're really adamant about or really uh, concerned about morally, justice wise, there's got to be a standard outside of humanity. Otherwise, it's just their opinion. I think if you can communicate to them in such a way, at least you can get them thinking. Well, I think that's right. I think the most powerful argument for the existence of God are, are, arguably comes from Romans too, the moral law written on our hearts. So that's a timeless truth. But for this generation, for many of them, I don't think their biggest objection is that Christianity is false. Right. I think in their hearts, they wonder if it's good. Mm -hmm. And that's a very different way of approaching it. They need to know when it comes to sexuality, God's plans, they're not only true, but they're actually for your good. They're for the good of society. They're for the good of your friends. And when they start to see that God's commands are good and understand why David says in Psalms 19, he rejoices in the law of the Lord. That's a game changer. So on those moral issues, helping kids process it by asking questions, like you said, I think is really, really valuable. And if you'd like to learn more from Sean McDowell live, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see reaching and equipping Gen Z. Join the premium version if you want to be a part of this. Sean, great having you on. Thanks, brother. Thanks, buddy. That's the great Sean McDowell. Check out his website, too. Just Google Sean McDowell. You'll find it. I'll see you in St. Louis, Missouri this weekend, I hope. God bless. See you next week. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.